Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to the Bitter Southerner podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting and the magazine I edit, the Bitter Southerner. My name is Chuck Reese, and this is the very first of six episodes that will make up season one of this podcast. Just a note before we begin, there is a little bit of explicit language. You know this groove, don't you? Most everybody knows it. But when I ask people who made the record, I usually get blank stares. Well, the name of the song is Green Onions, and the band is Booker T and the MGs. And to me, the MGs exemplify the very best of Southern culture. They represented what happens when Southerners are willing to cross the barriers of race and class that have kept our region's people apart for so long. In 1962, four young men in Memphis, two white and two black, formed Booker T and the MGs, and they became the house band at a studio called Stax Records. So every time you've shaken your booty to Otis Redding or Wilson Pickett or Sam and Dave, you were shaking it to the MGs. Back then, the Jim Crow South wouldn't let the MGs have a meal together in public, but so be it. Booker T. Jones, Steve Cropper, Al Jackson, and Duck Dunn ignored the color lines and the cultural barriers at their personal peril because they knew they had it in them to make something beautiful. The funky sounds of Booker T and the MGs are just one gift the American South has given to the rest of the world. And that's why the Bitter Southerner podcast is here, to tell you stories about how and why the South's greatest contributions to American culture usually take shape when we cross those old, worn-out barriers. And today, we're going to take a look at that through music. What do people actually mean when they say folk music? At the Bitter Southerner, we believe that folk music is, well, music by folks. It's music that describes the trials and the aspirations of the people who make it. Some of us immediately associate folk music with Woody Guthrie, the musical bard of the great Dust Bowl Migration West. Listen to a bit of his song, Do Re Mi. Oh, if you ain't got the Do Re Mi, you ain't got the do-re-mi Why, you better go back to beautiful Texas Oklahoma, Kansas, Georgia, Tennessee California is a garden of Eden A paradise to live in or see But believe it or not, you won't find it so hot If you ain't got the do-re-mi People gotta have that do-re-mi, it's still true today but we really should recognize that folk music shouldn't be a term that's just reserved for the twang of folks like Woody Guthrie. 
You see, when I listen to hip-hop music from the American South, I hear similarly powerful expressions of troubles and trials and aspirations. So I wanted us to talk about that with an authority. We asked Joycelyn Wilson, who is a regular contributor to The Bitter Southerner, and a professor of hip-hop culture in the Media Studies Department at Georgia Tech, to come talk to us about that. I'm so happy to be here. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good (laughs) to see you, too. Now, we started this conversation, Joyce and I, uh, on on the premise that hip-hop is, in fact, a a sort of folk music. Mm -hmm. And I asked you to come in with some songs that you thought were good examples of that premise. Mm -hmm. And I want to start by talking about the three songs that you sent me from uh, sort of the earliest days of Southern hip-hop's rise Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the early 90s. And that's uh, Spodiote Dopalicious by Outkast and two songs by Goody Mob off the uh, Dirty South album. And one is the title cut, Dirty South. And the other is thought process. And so I'm curious, why those three songs to start this conversation? Yeah, so I, I brought those three. I, I, I selected those three because um, I have I like to enter this conversation about rap music in the South through the access point of trap and understanding trap ideas and using that word because everybody sort of understand what it is and so we first get that word used in the ways in which um, Goody Mob and Outkast are describing living in Atlanta and in the South they describe it through this trap idea specifically on Spodiote Dopalicious where you have Big Boy who is describing becoming a father and really trying to live his life right never knowing this moment would bring another life into this world Funny how shit come together sometimes, you dig? One moment you frequent the booty clubs and the next four years you and somebody daughter raising your own youngin'. Now that's a beautiful thing. That's if you're on top of Here you have a young man who applies for a job at UPS, but it comes back that his his urine isn't clean or his urine is dirty. And so he's now he's right back in the same environment, trapped. And he says, go on, marinate on that for a minute. So now you back in the trap, just that. Trap, trap, trap. Go on to marinate on that for a minute. That's a thought process around who the folk are and what the struggle is in the music and I use that song because it gives us a clear access point to understanding what the South really has to say about living in the South and being black and and playing politics and doing the things that black people have had to do since we've been in the South. Well, one of the things I want to ask you to do before we dive deeper into any of these individual songs is explain for our listeners who might not understand what you mean when you say the trap. Okay, so trap is simply a a quick and dirty, the the trap is just basically, it's an environment that comes out of hip hop. It describes the environment from a Southern perspective. It comes out of Atlanta, the West side of Atlanta. Um, It is from the post-civil rights generation of 
um, African-American youth growing up in Atlanta and in the South following the Civil Rights Movement. So it is an economic play as well. Uh, when you talk about trap music, it is Dirty South folk music. And it has soul in it. It has heavy organs in its sonic um, um, identity. It is uh, heavy on drums and hi-hats. It can come in the form of crunk music because crunk gives you the idea to perform and and, mm -hmm. and, and be very African in how you um, engage in shaking off the hardships. Mm -hmm. So it makes it folk music. Trap music is, is dirty South folk music that is produced by African-Americans and introduced um, during hip hop and after the civil rights movement. Well, it's really interesting to me because my first exposure to hip hop music at all mm -hmm. was the very first summer uh, I spent in New York City mm -hmm. as an intern when I was still in college. And that was the summer of 1982 when the message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five came in. And I remember how the lyrics of that song whacked me in the head so hard. You know, things like, God's smiling on you, but he's frowning too because only God knows what you'll go through. Mm -hmm. You'll grow in the ghetto, live in second rate, and your eyes will sing a song of deep hate. Not to lose my head. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. When Goody Mob turned up 10 or so years later in Atlanta, and I was back here, I heard in those songs, particularly the two songs that you picked, mm -hmm. Echoes of that. Definitely, definitely, especially in thought process. From nine to five, just to get some trash, so keep most can stay alive. Not greedy and living lavish shit, but you can bet that when I do, nobody from my crew will laugh again. If I start to get larger, come up on some chain, I won't change. Everybody know it now. Cujo says, So how you feel? Frustrated, irritated. Sometimes I don't know myself, I be too numb to feel something sometimes. So I dig deep. Sometimes I don't know myself. I be too numb. Feel something sometimes. So I dig deep. Get in the Cherokee. Let my mind fly free into the wilderness. So I can get this shit off my mind. That's why I be smoking that dang sometimes. It keeps me from snapping. Keeps me calm. Keeps my mind open. Keeps me fun. The what I got to do. I'm in the studio to get my old bird back on the feet. Here you have a young man who is talking about taking care of his mother and being focused and, and, and what he has to do to just really manage right. the heaviness of, of what, you what you just described in the message. So that's where the similarity in the two, they're just different regionally, but the ideas, this notion about just surviving every day um, as a black man particularly in their situation, it's very similar. Just one's in the North and the other's in the South. I'm sure there are people listening to this show mm -hmm. who might write off music with lyrical content like what you just quoted because they might say, oh, it glorifies drug use mm -hmm. or it glorifies violence or whatever the case might be. 
I know how I would respond if somebody said that to me. I'm curious how you would respond. Oh, that's why. I mean, it's not just unique to rap music where you're talking about alcohol use and, no. and how you how you use it to cope. I mean, we get that in in country music and blues music. All why why is it why is rap music, which we've established as a folk music, why is it held to a different standard? We'll see, and that's that's that, what I would ask them. And that's and that is something that you know the bitter southerner asked its readers in the first few months we were around mm-hmm. in a story that I wrote about Killer Mike and you know I asked the question in that story why is it that white folks can listen to Johnny Cash saying I shot a man in Reno just to mm-hmm. watch him die and assume that Johnny Cash would never actually pull the trigger and kill a person <laughs> but if you hear the lyrics of a hip hop song a lot of white people think the rapper is not inhabiting a character. And yeah. I find that so not just unfair, but offensive. But I would also like to ask some of those white people you're, you're talking about why they're asking that question. You know what I'm saying? Like, why, why, is, there a, why is there a question about the ways in which one community does their culture and and uses their culture and then why is it that you why would a white person even ask that question how am i saying this like this is what i'm trying to say is it's like why does there have to be a justification around it and why would somebody ask that you know what i'm saying if if you wouldn't ask johnny cash right then why would you ask a black person and what does that say about the person asking the question? I think that's where I'm going with this. Exactly. It's like, you know, what does that say about that white person that they even have to ask that? Well, and that, that you know, that goes back to our, our basic premise, which is that if you want to understand Southern culture, you have to understand all the cultures mm-hmm. that are part of Southern culture. Damn. Let's hop to... A much more contemporary song that you uh, sent me when we first started talking about this. And that's Nothing New by Mm -hmm. 21 Savage, Mm -hmm. who is a young rapper from here in Atlanta. I'm trying to feed my family, I ain't being political. You ain't giving out money, then they look at you pitiful. You make a couple million, niggas greedy to envy. Hey, fuck that other side, we gon' shoot up your sprint. I used to sell that crack and spray that mech out that room. Fast. Niggas running high when I brought down that one. Got a stendo and a hoodie, he can't wait till December. Why don't you talk a little bit about that song? Because that one has lyrics in it that, that strike me as so stark and raw and such an honest description of what his life was like before. He began well, making music for money. Well, it's in the first line. He says, they thought I only rapped about murder and pistols. Again, there's this misunderstanding around the storytelling that happens in, in rap music and in trap music and just soul, folk soul music for that's, that, that black people create. That's the first line. And what's the second line? And the second is, I'm trying to feed my family. I ain't being political, but he is being political. Right. <laughs> right. But he is also trying to feed his family. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's something that a lot of people 
Well, too many people with the same lack of pigmentation that I have. Do. Well, see, that's the thing about that's the great thing about trap music. It's trap is is it's an economic battle. Civil rights came, so they flood the hood with coke. Breaking down my people, trying to kill our faith and hope. They killed Martin Luther King, and now he did with spoke. Welcome to the hood, yeah, where niggas dying. To talk about the trap is to talk about getting out of it. It's also this. It's a it's an economics to getting out of it, and everyone has their way of talking about it and dealing with it. And that's what makes folk music universal because right. we're all talking about traps. Exactly. You understand? We're all talking about these universal traps, these things that we're trying to get past. For that white person that may have asked that question, it might be the trap of privilege. Uh -huh. You know, and and that's part of that's how I bring it in with my class. You know, like how do we really understand why this music is attractive to all of us, whether it's blues folk music, whether it's soul folk music, dirty South rap folk music. It's all folk music, and it's all from these people in the South who are experiencing the South and the politics of the South. That's Bitter Southerner contributor and Georgia Tech professor Joycelyn Wilson. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Southern has a variety of meanings in the personal and popular imagination. It's a term that evokes history, food, ways of talking, and yes, music. But too often the things of which we are rightfully proud in the South get reduced to stereotypes by folks who don't really know the South. Few people have done more to thoroughly understand the culture of the South than a folklorist named Bill Ferris. This summer, Bill retired as the Associate Director of the Center for the Study of the American South at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. But for the last half century, Ferris used photographs, field recordings, and film to document the true character of the South. And earlier this year, Atlanta-based Dust to Digital released a collection of Ferris's interviews, films, and songs. We're getting a sample of that now with the song 44 Blues by Mississippi native James Sunford Thomas. I wore my 44 so long Till it made my shoulder so and I do what I want to Ain't gonna wear my 44 no more Georgia Public Broadcasting's Virginia Prescott talked with Bill Ferris about his anthology, which is called Voices of Mississippi. He began by telling her about his vivid memories of growing up in rural Mississippi. Well, it was a very isolated farm 16 miles southeast of Vicksburg, Mississippi, and my family were the only white family on it, and there were six black families, and we worked together. We lived in a very intimate kind of community with a little church that was on the farm. A lady named Mary Gordon would take me to that church as a four-year-old, five-year-old child, and I learned the hymns in that church. and. 
later realized there were no hymnals, and when those families were gone, the music would disappear. So I began as a teenager to record and photograph that church and the worlds around the farm, and that really led me to a career as a folklorist, which this box set represents. You grew up alongside these families. You mentioned they were descendants of slaves who lived on the farm, but treated as equals by your family. Now, this was in the Jim Crow South. Was your family different in that way? Looking back on it, they were very different. And I think a key to that difference was education. My parents both were uh, college graduates, and many of my family taught and worked within the academy. My uncle, Parker Hall, was treasurer of the University of Chicago. Another uncle, Eugene Ferris, pioneered the study of medicine and was a professor uh, at Emory University's medical school. And they brought their colleagues, many of them Jewish scholars, to the farm and it, the farm really was kind of like a salon mm. during the holiday season. And as children, we grew up very much uh, influenced by those worlds. Well, let's hear just one of your field recordings. This is Alex Haley, author of Roots, the Saga of an American Family, which has been adapted now into two television miniseries. Here he is describing his love for the South. I'm influenced in whatever I say by the fact that I innately love the South. I really truly think it's the best place in this country to live. I just feel the South is a, is a place of hands. It's a place of touch, of caress, of less of slapping and knocking people down. It's a softer, sweeter culture. A softer, sweeter culture. This is one of, what, thousands of recordings that you made, you later made films. What to you, Bill Ferris, made them worth, let's say, documenting? Well, my father, who was a farmer, taught me a lesson. He used to say that you can learn a lesson from every person you meet in life. And I tried to apply that and whether I was talking to Alex Haley or Eudora Welty or a Parchman prison inmate, I tried to learn from them, and I always did. And recording and photographing and filming those people was my way of preserving their voice and their image for future generations. Well, here are inmates at the Mississippi Parchman Farm. This is a working prison farm singing the song Water Boy Drowned in the Mobile Bay. Did you hear about oh, yeah. the water boy drowned? Uh -huh. Did you hear about oh, yeah. the water boy drowned? So that's just one of this vast collection. When, when, Bill, did you become aware of yourself as an archivist or a collector? Well, it came much later. I, I tell my students, follow your heart and you'll be happy and successful. And that's what I did. I, 
I loved the farm and the people there, and I didn't want to lose contact. And the early recordings were my way of bonding with those roots. But I had no idea where that would lead. I didn't even know the word folklore. Uh, it was much later as a graduate student that over breakfast in Ireland, I discovered a scholar who told me that the field of folklore was a way I could do what I loved and get paid for it. So I ended up doing a Ph.D. in folklore at the University of Pennsylvania, and it was during the late 60s as a graduate student that I became aware that there was a field that allowed me to do what I'd been doing since I was a teenager. And to see that preservation as a, a life's work. You also brought Ray Lum. He was an 84-year-old mule trader from Vicksburg to talk outside of Yale's Sterling Memorial Library. This was, I guess, in 1975. Here's a little bit of that recording. A trader? Not a T-R-A-I-T-O-R. You ain't talking about that. A T-R-A-D-E-R is a man that trades in everything. And a real trader don't ever find nothing that he can't use. If he can't use it, he'll find somebody else that can. That's his business. You are never broke as long as you keep trading. Keep something to trade on. There's lots of people can take a pocket knife and run it into a barrel of money. I'm just trying to imagine Ray Lum <laughs> surrounded by Ivy League students with their mouths agape. Yes. He shook the foundations <laughs> of Yale in a very wonderful way. He never stopped talking. And the students gathered around him on the steps. And at one point, Bart Giamatti, who was then the chair of the English department, joined me and listened to him. And he said, you know, Bill, I've listened to Cleonth Brooks, the Faulkner scholar on Yale's faculty, speak often about Faulkner. But I never really understood Faulkner fully until I heard Mr. Lum. Well, that's the thing. This adds so much to the understanding of the Southern character. But I'm wondering how complicated that is, the idea of studying the American South, you know, reading literature or reading the history rather than what you've done, conjuring it in, in original art and books and music. Well, that's so true. Really, what I was doing is what Faulkner and Richard Wright Alice Walker, the great writers, have listened to storytellers, and they have taken those narratives and created the great works of fiction like The Color Purple. And so by bringing in Ray Lum literally into the class or uh, through this box set, you come face to face with the voices of the South who are the true people who shape and define what the culture is all about. Well, let's hear Alice Walker talking about the importance of place. And this is from a recording at Jackson State University in 1969. Well, I think I, I'm dealing with regions inside people. You know, although... Oh, although they are, the people are in the South, 
and in fact I guess I really just leave that up to other people to decide I mean if they want it if they can only understand writing by placing it in a context that's fine I have no I don't really quarrel with it but as far as I'm concerned I'm really trying to understand people and what and what how they get to be the way they are Alice Walker there she became a lifelong friend of yours as well I believe but yes. talking about the stories inside, of, the regions inside of people, and it's interesting because you have done comprehensive recording, as you said, bringing your tape recorder everywhere. No preference for race or class. Now, Alice Walker became a famous author, but you recorded people making music who would never consider themselves to be musicians, maybe, or quilt makers who wouldn't have thought of selves as artists. So what did your attention to them do? Well, you cast a bright light on these artists who really don't think of themselves with the word artist. They are making a quilt to keep you warm at night. And Alice Walker has a beautiful short story about just that. There are two sisters who each want a quilt. One of them is going to keep the quilt to cover the bed. The other wants to put it on the wall in a museum and preserve it. And, but the person who makes the quilt does it as a work that's traditionally handed down in what is called fireplace learning, an apprenticeship of mother to daughter. Uh, and the blues, the gospel, all of these traditions are learned through the oral tradition from generation to generation. And they are the voices, like a chorus, that help us frame and understand the American South. That was the folklorist, and I have to say one of the finest people I've ever met in my life, Bill Ferris, speaking with Georgia Public Broadcasting's Virginia Prescott. And the collection called Voices of Mississippi, of Bill Ferris's life work, is now available from the Atlanta-based record label Dust to Digital. No, hardly tell me of a home no stone. Before we end today's show, I want to take a moment to focus with you on one of the tracks off of Bill Ferris's Voices of Mississippi. This song is called They Tell Me of an Uncloudy Day. The version you're hearing is by Walter Lee Hood, and Bill Ferris recorded it in 1968 at the Parchman Farm Penitentiary in Mississippi. At the very same time, I was a seven-year-old boy singing that song with the church choir almost every Sunday at a tiny church in Southern Appalachia. I just didn't know that black folks sung it too that the same song was part of both of our cultural traditions. And it's because of people like Bill Ferris that I'm able to realize that no matter the color of a Southerner's skin, we all feel that yearning for that land of uncloudy skies. And maybe one day we'll get there. We'll keep working at it. I have a home, got a home far away. Whoa,
And that's it for us today. But we sure would like to hear from you. What do you think the world ought to know about Southern culture that it doesn't? You can contact us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. You can listen to this show and read five years worth of stories about the American South at bittersouthern.com. And you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to get your podcasts. Our producer is Sean Powers. Our editor is Sarah Shariari. And our theme music comes from Patterson Hood and his band Drive-By Truckers. And if you haven't recognized the song already, it's called Ever South. The Bitter Southerner podcast is a co-production of Georgia Public Broadcasting and the Bitter Southern Magazine. I'm Chuck Reese, and I've got three instructions for you. One, hug more necks. Two, abide no hatred. And three, never let the folks you love ever wonder how much. Show them. We'll see you on the next show.